Shop Talk Live 222. That's right, Shop Talk Live listeners, we've got a great show for you today. I'm joined by Mike Pekovich and Anissa Kopsalis, and we talk all things table saw safety, making a chessboard out of solid wood, what woodworking a healthcare worker could do while on COVID assignment in a hotel room, and how to saw a blimp-shaped object in half. Don't forget to sign up for our next webinar. This one is featuring contributing editor Michael Fortune. It will be August 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And he will be talking about refining your design using mock-ups. So head on over to findwoodworking.com slash shop class to sign up for that right now. Stick around. We've got a great show for you after a brief word. As a Shop Talk Live listener, you know that if a project is worth doing, it's worth doing right. Pony Jorgensen takes the same pride in crafting their clamps as you do in crafting your furniture. Pony Jorgensen clamps are made using only the highest quality materials, and they inspect each one to guarantee consistency and performance. Head on over to PonyJorgensen.com to explore their wide range of pipe clamps, bar clamps, hand clamps, and one of my all-time favorite tools of all time, wooden hand screws. Pony Jorgensen, makers of clamps without compromise since 1903. Hey, Shop Talk Live listeners. Take a deeper dive into woodworking topics you love when you join the Fine Woodworking Unlimited community. From in-depth video workshops, projects and plans, tips and techniques, you'll find everything you need to know to master your craft. Try Unlimited now and enjoy a 14-day free trial. Find out more at finewoodworking.com members. Anissa. Hi. Hi. Here we are in person. I'm very excited. <laughs> we are not yeah. your children. You're yeah. around people not your children. Yeah. I'm I cannot <laughs> tell you how excited I am. <laughs> I'm buying it. It's true. It's like, yes, yes, I'll drive in for that. Yes. <laughs> yes, commute. Ninety minute commute. Yes, yes. <laughs> How have you been doing? <clears throat> Pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. How about you guys? Good. I was hoping for more conversation there, but have you been getting in the shop at all? Mm, no. Yes. I, very rarely. Yeah. When I can. It's just, but I did go on my first shoot. Oh. Last week. Yeah. And? Do you remember what buttons work what, on the cameras? I was surprisingly n- not rusty setting up the equipment, okay. which is where I thought the rust was going to start oh, okay. to show. I, I, well, Mike, Mike ends up looking at the photos before the thumbnail meetings, but I felt a little rusty while I was shooting. Was she rusty? I he hasn't seen yet. them yet. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm like hesitating about this because. <laughs> About telling you guys this, but I, I did feel a little rusty with the shooting and, but the mask had something to do with it too, I think, because it, it, I started telling you guys about this a little bit ago. Uh, it's so disorienting to have the mask on to me. You can't, well, Chris didn't wear one because he was in the photographs. Yeah. Um, we stayed pretty clear of each other, but I had a mask on the whole time. And first of all, the glasses fog up. Yes. The, the, the big screen on the back of the camera fogs up and 
it's just, it's very disorienting. I feel as though I can't see or hear as well when I have the mask on. Yeah. Or hear. Yeah. Okay. It just throws off. Where are you wearing the mask? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you're doing it right. (laughs) Where are you supposed to wear the mask? (laughs) Just checking. Where else would I wear the mask? I don't know. I don't know how how it's affecting your seeing and your hearing. It's you wouldn't think that it would. It's counterintuitive, but it just, it throws off my other senses. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I um just taught this weekend at uh, Connecticut Valley little weekend hand tool skills class, and that's the second time I've been back in the class. I was at Mark Adams for a week or so. In both cases, you're wearing the mask, and it's super tough. And I'm surprised. Anyone can actually understand what I'm saying because I tend to be soft-spoken anyway. And then with a mask and you can't see, but um, you do start to hyperventilate at the end of a demo, 20-minute demo, or maybe there's too much carbon dioxide right, building up or something. pass out yeah. in one of your classes. <laughs> um, the problem is um, I try really hard to remember everybody's name like on the first day. If On a week-long class, it may take a day and a half. But when everyone's wearing a mask, it's really, there is no facial recognition anymore. It's just, you go by t-shirt design. And if they wear a different t-shirt the next day, I have no idea who you are. I'm going to so, need everyone to wear exactly the same clothes yes. tomorrow. All week. I, all weekend. I get thrown off when Mike and I just went to Franco's where we get pizza around here. And she was like... I walk in, I was like, avocado salad. She's like, yeah, no avocado. I was like, how do you recognize me? Like, yeah. what the? She knows us there. <laughs> I on. haven't been here in like three months because I've been working from home and I'm wearing a thing over my face, but she still gets my order right. So she's great. She is. I love They're her. The best. All right. Let's talk some woodworking. Okay. okay. Yeah. I feel the need to get confirmation from Mike. He's our boss now. Yeah. (laughs) I was wondering, am I allowed to say that? We have to ask him. (laughs) Mike and I had a small discussion beforehand where he said, you can make fun of me for it. Yeah. In passing. Well, you know, the truth of the matter. Oh, we will. (laughs) Is that I've always considered Betsy and Liz my bosses. And they still are. Yes. You know, truth be told. Yes. I'm no boss. I can't say yes after that. I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm a little alarmed. I'm, I'm, so there's this whole, there's a little bit of a transition happening here. And so. Oh, we should fill the readers. Right. You do that. Out. And then I'll tell you what oh, I was. Oh, me? Yeah. Okay. So, so Tom is now the boss of the bosses. Yeah, so he's editorial director. Yeah. Which he was, I think. Of us. But of now us. he's editorial director of other franchises as this well. That's true, right. Uh, so you have stepped up. Yes. And you are? A little bit, like a half a step, because I <laughs> kind of got bumped up to creative director, which ended up not really meaning anything. Um, but I'm just taking on a little more 
duties that Tom was doing before he moved up to his thing. So it's just, it's a baby step kind but, of. A, but you're the editor now. Well, this is the thing. It's just like, so at the, the top of the masthead, that person's title is traditionally the editor because yeah. it's always someone from the editorial end as opposed to the art end. So when an art person takes over that position, um, I kind of like staying creative director because I think that's more appropriate for what I'm doing. Because like, if someone says, oh, Mike's the editor, it's like, eh, no, I'm not. <laughs> but, okay. um, so, but then it was suggested to me, but I said, you can do that if, if for consistency and people don't get confused, that's all great. Uh, but then it was suggested to me by Tom's boss, what if it's editor and creative director? Bam. That it's works. like, yeah. And you kind of got to do what she says anyway. That's so. pretty cool. <laughs> so that's like master and commander kind of a thing. Is it splash? Wow, this is escalating pretty quickly all of a sudden. And so now I'm second guessing a lot of things. It's just a baby step to master and commander. <laughs> but now I can pretty much do anything I want. <laughs> Let's answer some questions. Okay. Boss. All right. <laughs> And here we go again. <laughs> From Bill. Okay, so we have we have two questions I put into question one. Um, these are both table saw safety questions. Uh, we had a really good discussion two episodes ago about table saw safety, and it's brought more questions to front. Okay. So I figure we should get right to them. From Bill. Assuming the table saw has a riving knife or even a splitter in place, would there still be the possibility of kickback and and in a ripping operation. My understanding is that the riving knife virtually eliminates the occurrence of kickback. Is this the correct understanding? Uh, if so, what advantage does ripping on a bandsaw have over ripping on a table saw, if any? If I'm ripping a board in half. In my home shop, my preference has been to do ripping operations on the table saw equipped with a riving knife because one, I'm under the impression it's safe. Two, the larger table surface makes the operation feel more stable. Three, my bandsaw doesn't have a very good fence. So if I'm, am I safe ripping on the table saw when I'm using a riving knife or splitter or am I unwittingly hanging it out there? So let's, let's hit that one. A riving knife definitely makes it safer. Yeah. Um, because really what's happening, the biggest problem, if you're ripping a wide board in half at the table saw and you're releasing a lot of internal tensions in the board, typically both halves of the board want to cup towards each other as they pass the blade. And that's the problem. At the table saw, if the board is cupping, you know, away from the fence into the blade in that context of the teeth that are coming up, that's a super, super dangerous situation. That said, if you're, even with the riving knife, if you're ripping and while the board is distorting, you're still going to get burn marks. You're still going to get a really rough, non-true surface. And so... Yeah, so I would, you know, and you make a good point. It's like, okay, my bandsaw is small or it doesn't have a good fence or, you know, I think, or the bigger table saw for bigger boards, you know, I think that's a good point. But in an ideal situation, it wouldn't be my first choice of a tool, the table saw. Um, it would or wouldn't it be? It would not. So uh, different ways around it, if you don't, I mean, basically a, what do they call that? Saber saw, jigsaw? Yeah. with the handheld guy with the blade that goes up and down. That's basically a handheld bandsaw. Um, so if you have a really good aggressive 
um, blade for wood. Bosch makes really, really good blades for jigsaws. They cut pretty quickly. That might be a good way to break down a board, basically. And on, strike on line, a stable surface, yeah. if, if you're worried about that. Yeah. yeah, that might be okay. Um, what do you do, Anissa? Are you ever like ripping wide boards like down the center at the table saw? A wide, thin board, maybe. Okay. Um, but a super thick, like two inch or eight quarter thick piece yeah. of oak, probably not. That, but yeah, it gets a little scary. Yeah. So I did a short stint as a climbing guide at one point. And one of the, um, one of my friends who was also a guide said something to me when I first started guiding. And he said, just assume every client is out to kill themselves and you <laughs> and you'll do just fine. <laughs> and it was no pressure. It was, you'll be fine. It was really good advice. Um, because one of the first, or, and that's a different story, but it's also something like I'm, my kids are just nine and 10 right now, but even when we're driving or when they're out riding their bikes, I tell them, assume that everybody on the road, well, they're not driving when we're driving and I'm, I'm already trying to give them driving lessons, but when we're riding our bikes on the road, which we've recently started to do, and I choose the roads and I'm like constantly saying, do this, watch out for this, watch out for that. I tell them just assume that everybody on the road is the worst driver ever and they want to kill you. They want to run you over. <laughs> and so I guess I'm telling you this because that's the way I'm, I am approaching using the table saw. I think you, I looked back at that one, the clip that was the impetus for this question. And you said you use the table saw as the final dimensioning tool versus a rough milling tool. And that's the way yeah. I operate too. I'm pretty healthily wary of the table saw. So I just assume there can always be kickback. And I'm whenever I'm cutting something on the table saw, I'm assuming that there's a possibility of kickback. Mm -hmm. So the the riving knife definitely helps, but it doesn't doesn't eliminate kickback. I don't think it eliminates kickback. So like we should get that out of the way right there. It's possible of kickback even with a riving knife. Or it's possible of kickback before the stock gets to the riving knife. You have upwards of five inches before that stock is actually going to hit the safety of the riving knife, right? Yeah. So that opens you up a little bit there. <clears throat> the other thing for me, have, have you ever had a board bind on your riving knife to the point where it, yeah. it closed up yes. and you can't push it? Yeah. And I don't care. I don't want to do that again. I like everything. Like if that's the accident where the airbag did its job, Still not cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want any part of it. Um, all of a sudden, you're trying to turn the table saw off while you're kind of mentally freaking out and holding the piece in place. And it's just, no. Yeah. So th there's definitely things that can go wrong with a riving knife in, in place. The same way that when I'm behind a saw stop, I assume that that cartridge isn't going to fire. Oh, yeah. You can't. Yes. Do I agree. Do not assume yeah. that you're safe. No. Yeah. 
I think, and for a bandsaw, if your fence is wonky, don't worry about the fence. Just strike a line on your board. Yeah. And if it's a relatively sharp blade, you should be able to track it pretty well. And it is a small tabletop, but I would definitely have some sort of outfeed support for your bandsaw. I think that's just as important at the bandsaw than it is at the table saw. So if you have outfeed support at your bandsaw and and as you're feeding it, um, yeah, at the very beginning, if it's a long board, to get it level, it can be a little tough. But once you got it going and the board is on that outfeed side, I don't think that that's not too bad. That that wouldn't be a deal breaker for me. The, and also, if it's like a really long board, why? Like, what is like maybe like if it's I do like one dining table every once every five years. It's a good point. Yeah. Or maybe a bed frame, but other than that, most parts aren't more than. 48, 50 inches for most furniture parts. So, you know, super long stock, it is a concern, but for me, it's not a common concern. The more that I think about it too, I don't rip a board down the middle very often. If I'm, if I'm getting a piece out of a board, I'm going to draw a line where that grain matches up Hmm. with what I want it to be. And then I take it to the bandsaw and cut on that line. Which is probably not parallel to the edge of the board. Very, very rarely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I I am also, if I have this stock and I need to get these pieces out, um, I'm thinking about a shelf I did for my wife where I had one board and lots of rips. I, I did rip on the table saw with the riving knife and the guard in place. And the moment I couldn't do it with a guard in place, with like the actual guard yeah. in place, I stopped ripping. That's when I took it to the bandsaw. Because okay. I was doing long pieces, eight quarter ash. It was heavy. I didn't feel like I could, I, exactly like Bill, I didn't feel like I could do it safely on the bandsaw. But by the time it was to the point where I couldn't get get the guard with a push stick, that's when it was small enough that the bandsaw was able to handle it. No problem. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's true in that in the shop, there's ideally safe situations. And then there's other situations which are not ideally safe. And I think you always need to continue to weigh your comfort when you're doing those things. And the other thing is, I think if the more your knowledge increases about the pitfalls of doing things in a certain way, I think that would inform the way you go about things as well. That's That might be the harder learning curve in that mm-hmm. if you're doing something that it isn't safe, but you don't know it's not safe and you don't have any discomfort doing it, then I think that leads to bad things happening. All right. So let's, let's go to the second table saw safety question because he does feel uncomfortable about something. This is from Jim. I appreciate your recent conversation about table saw safety. While you were talking, I wondered about two situations, both of which I've seen in fine woodworking videos. Can you comment about the risk level of putting your hand on top of a board for downward pressure when running it over a dado stack or on the joiner? I'm always trying to avoid doing this, but I wonder whether I'm being overly cautious. I think, Jim, you're being exactly the amount of cautious that you should be. Yeah. Yeah, at Mark Adams School, you know, they, they have a rule that the hand never gets closer than, you know, three inches to any type of cutter, whether it's a table saw blade or a router, a joiner, a planer. And the other thing they always talk about is um, if whatever board you're working on is suddenly not 
there, what is going to happen to your hand in relation to the blade? So if you have a hand giving putting downward pressure on a board as you're jointing and that hand is going over that blade, but it's an inch thick board, so it's safe. But if something happens and that board is no longer there and your hand is going to go down into the blade, that's a super not safe situation. So I would say what he's describing there is if you have your hand on top of a board at the table saw with a non-through cut, I'm guessing like a yeah. dado, yeah. Um, and that board isn't there, that's not good. I think you can pressure over the blade, but if you've got a push pad in your hand, you can still pressure that's over the blade. good. Then the push pad's going into the blade, but I don't want that to happen either. But um, it's tough. I mean, a dado blade, there's a tremendous amount of upward force because you're removing so much stock on that wide cut that the board does want to lift up. If it's super problematic and you can attach a feather board to your rip fence to give yourself that support right over the blade, that's not a bad thing. But push pads. Yeah. I, I'm a fan of push pads. Yeah. More and more so. Concur. Me too. I have nothing to add to that. I agree completely cool. with all of it. All right. Let's see. Question number two is from Matt. <laughs> I love this question. <laughs> this... Kind of reminds me of something my son would ask in the back of a car ride on the way home. I quote, how would you go about safely sawing a blimp shaped <laughs> object in half down the long side? I love this question. Um, the objects are too thick to cut on the table saw and after being cut in half will be put back together. So I didn't want to risk flipping it on the table saw and misaligning the cut. I ended up building a sled with two 45-degree angles butted up against each other. Uh, I'll, I've already got pictures sent to you, Jeff. <laughs> um, that would be self, so it would be self-centering. The blimp would be self-centering. But this meant that the object would be going through the bandsaw blade with no support on either end. So the front and back are curved as well. So he didn't okay. want to push it into the bandsaw without there being a support on the front. He's worried about it tipping down. Uh, so I use 16 gauge brad nails to attach calls to the top and clamp them down, giving essentially four points of pressure and locking the piece in place. Um, I then used a feather board to keep the sled tight against the fence. When the blade neared the clamp, I shut the saw off and moved the clamp to the other side to finish the cut. It worked great, but I didn't really enjoy hiding behind my miter saw station and using a long push stick in case the object became a football-sized <laughs> missile. So, God only knows what Matt is making, but it's yeah. it's awesome. What is he making? I don't know. Do you want to see the picture of the... <laughs> yeah, let me see it again. Yeah. So, why could... Well, I, I kind of hate how much I've been thinking about this question <laughs> because he's really, he's almost there with it. I, like, well, one of my other suggestions, the only other suggestion other than a couple tweaks to make his sled thing a little more efficient mm -hmm. would be like just an old fashioned miter box kind of thing where you're just hand sawing, you know, it. Hand -sawing it. But, I didn't see that coming out of you. Why? Because you're not like a hand tool person. Well, you, there's no way you're putting that rounded object on the table saw, no, no. matter how thick it is. No. Like, but he can also, he's got a pretty good system there. Mm -hmm. He can put a stop on the back of it. 
and you would, the way he has it, it, you would only cut through the stop. You'd have the kerf and the stop, but it would still hold it in place because the rest of it would be, the rest of the stop would be attached to the sled. So he could put a stop behind it. Okay, just because I want to say it before Mike does. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that joint? like the whole point? <laughs> what did you say, Mike? Nothing. What did you say, Ben? Like a paper joint. Just cut it first while it's square. Oh, yeah. Why did I hesitate? Yeah. Why did I hesitate? I said, I want to say it before Mike does. And I looked at him and he said paper joint. Yeah. Um, you know what? That occurred to me as we were talking. So it was like a fresh like insight. Okay. And then even though I knew you were going to say it, <laughs> and as a boss, I really should encourage your... <laughs> Yeah, you know, it goes both ways, so, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, it does. <laughs> so I apologize. So that was my guess, but that's what you're going to say. Yes, yeah. yes. Explain what that is. Okay, so paper joint, you would have cut the pieces apart on the bandsaw or the table saw, whatever, while they were still square. Yeah. Put a piece of paper between, or glue a piece of uh, grocery bag or just newspaper or whatever yeah. between the pieces. Glue on both sides, put them together, do your turning or whatever you're doing to blimpify this thing. <laughs> and then you can just split them apart with a knife. Yeah. Yeah. And then you don't have, you're not missing that curve line from the bandsaw because it's, there's some like paper gunk on there to get rid of, you know, I guess hand plane off or joint off or something. If you did hide glue, could you just sort of soak it and wipe it off? And well, every hide glue person was yelling that as you said it so yes okay so yeah <laughs> i felt the vibe <laughs> yeah um and it's a it's a common turning technique a lot of times if you're doing like quarter columns yeah. for you know a case piece or something that's how it's it's done so yeah, yeah. also couldn't he use his sled because mm -hmm. his sled is pretty awesome yeah. that he came up with yeah the problem with his sled is he has these kind of long v blocks running the length of the sled front to back, and so when you have that long continuous v block and you put this rounded object on it, it's only hitting at the center where if instead of a long continuous v block, if he just had a v toward the front and a v toward the back, uh. and then you put the blimp on top, then it's really being supported at the front and the back as opposed to just in the center good point. <sighs> so. But that's not as cool as the paper tape, so you still get credit for that, Ben. Yeah, but that's the smarter way. Yeah. The paper tape, the paper joint is the simplest solution, the most elegant solution, right? Yeah. Why are we cutting these apart? What is he making? That's the thing. Like, it's not just why he's cutting it apart. What Matt, it, you like, got to send in the he, finished yeah. picture. Yeah. Come more. on, man. Because this is this is going somewhere wacky, and we want to go with you. <laughs> <laughs> Something going on here. All right, Anissa, segment potpourri. Oh, uh, we need a theme song. We do. Uh, segment potpourri, potpourri. There gonna, it was. I'm going to auto tune that. Yes. And okay. when you guys listen, well, when other people listen back to it, that'll have been a really cool moment. All right. Okay. Now I got to do it. I'm disappointed in myself. I have nothing supremely stupid to share as far as a smooth move. I actually looked and I, you had me write one down, oh. like hints for you. Yeah, yeah. What was it? And it was, uh, it was the one you did last time. Yeah, yeah. I've gotten, I don't think I have, I, I have to get in the shop a little bit more so I okay. can come up with some more yeah. dumb moves. So 
I was on a photo shoot with Chris Bexford last week, and every time I go there, he's pulling out some other trick that he does, and I've never seen him do this. He was drilling holes in a shelf to put this these little shelf brackets into the shelf um, and have them adjustable. And so on the on the drill press, instead of clamping a fence to the drill press table, he had a, one of those magnets, like the flip magnets, a really strong one that you just, he screwed a wooden straight edge to that and he just plopped that down and magnetized it to the table. That's, I know, like super simple. Have you seen people do that before? Um, I- <laughs> Tico, Tico Voigt has a, Voigt, Voigt, Voigt. Yeah. Tico. Tico. Wacky Tico. Yeah. Uh, he not, has, like. Not wacky. He's a good guy. He's a great dude. Yeah. Yes. But he's a little wacky. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> like in the good way. Yes. Okay. Um, he has a, a one that he sells. Oh. Those, yeah. Who knew? Tico. Tico did. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I thought it was super cool yeah. and so easy and quick. And Bexford's yeah. like that, and like you can't you can't walk in his shop without seeing a couple yeah. things that are just the product of forty years of woodworking. And yeah, and he's cleaning out his shop. He's got this like weird retirement thing in his head, and so he's been cleaning out his shop. And there's a lot more space than usual. And he's downsizing all his cabinets, and he's making little cabinets for different things to be even more efficient than he already is and so he's got some he has new cool stuff to peruse while he's setting up for the next shot that's awesome so it was kind of cool so he's still in his existing shop he's not in the new one yeah i think he's all talk and but you've seen his new tool chest uh, tool cabinet yeah but it's really nice it's really nice yeah. it's really nice i i did watch him a couple times he's been with that other tool cabinet for probably two decades right and i did see him reaching in the wrong spot a couple times like he's (laughs) still getting used to the new digs (laughs) which was really like we're all so wired to do the same thing over and over again it takes a while to kind of reroute all the the the, your brain yeah he put his old tool cabinet up for sale yeah. And it wasn't that much. No, it was very reasonable. And I like really wanted that. And I would have bought all the tools he had in it. I would just have to buy a copy of each. It'd be like the Studley tool chest. You just have to outfit it exactly the same way. And it has like, what does it have? C. Bexford, Christian Bexford in like chip carving oh, across that right. horizontal divider. That would have been cool. Yeah. What do you got, Pim? Uh Okay, so... I um, I was going to do all-time favorite tool, and then I just remembered my smooth move. And my smooth move is bad. It's really bad. And it, it has led to my dining room table splitting. Oh, no. At, at a joint, at the center glue line, which I've always been suspicious of. Um, I don't think I got a really good jointing job Uh it being such long boards, okay. I, I feel like I, I never, I've always been weary of them. Okay. And, uh, so when I, uh, 
when I attach them to the trestle, the top, the top right. of the trestles, which act as the stretcher, yep. I routed out extended slots for the screws. It's pinned in the middle, so there's 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 one stationary screw in the middle, and the outside I routed. Yeah, I probably gave them, I'd say three quarters of an inch of play. Okay, what I felt like was enough. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> um, I had been working from home, and my laptop was rocking on the table, hmm. and I was like. That's new. And it led to me looking at it. And all of a sudden I was going, there's a big hump there. Because it's it's pretty humid right now. So everything's swollen. Okay. And I look and there's a, you know, I, I, I don't know if I pulled out a ruler or what, or a book. And there's, there's a sizable hump there. Huh. Right at the glue joint? Right at the glue joint. Okay. And I think I was slacking with or i was actually on the phone or something with barry and i was i was like holy crap i just discovered this thing and 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 i made note of it and i was going to come back to it well the next day i come back and i feel a little ridge in that middle glue joint and the table had split there Mm. so here's the smooth move the smooth move is, is multifaceted, but first off, I didn't get a good jointing. Um, I think I should have glued, uh, I, I, well, for the jointing, I should have gone over it with a hand plane. At the time, I wasn't confident enough with my hand plane skills to not make that edge worse sure, right. than what I just got off the joiner. Yeah, that's a tough job. Yeah. Um, so I should have done that. I also, I think I glued up all four boards at once um and maybe i didn't get enough pressure over the joint uh i also used hide glue that i found in the shop in the old shop which could very well have been placed in there when i graduated high school i don't know um so it's up for debate whether the glue was still good i think that's going to wind up saving me though but uh but the real smooth move was I used uh, the Craig cabinet screws to attach the tabletop because okay. they have like the flat bottom. Yeah. Um, and old. I thought, okay, well that that that'll that won't dig in. Well, one did dig in, so I didn't use washers under those screws okay. in the spacer. Or even better, would have been Chris Bexford designed Lee Valley oh, yeah. spacer washers for the that very thing. Slotted the, washer, yeah, yeah, the oval yeah. slotted washers. Um, so one of those screw heads had dug in and was no longer movable. Got it. Okay. So when it expanded this summer, the whole thing just went up okay. and then it was too much for that weak glue joint to take. Got it. And it snapped. Okay. So what I am going to do, and I am open for discussion on this from from the panel. Please don't send me everyone all your ideas. <laughs> um, I think what I'm going to do is I am going to get some hot hide glue and uh, squeegee it in there as much as humanly possible. Use shop vac, use... Um, Whatever. Use whatever I can to get more glue joint, glue in that joint. Clamp it up 
across that, not leave it. Right. Let it sit, get it as even as humanly possible. Hopefully, I'll be able to get it flush and not have to hand play in it or whatever. Then once it's solid, take it off, flip it over, and do some pocket screws along the bottom. Just belt and suspender it. Okay. Um, why are we not just popping that apart? Because yeah. I don't want to. Okay. Because I'm scared, Mike. Because <laughs> that'd probably entail re-leveling and refinishing the top I, and all yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I feel like the chances of getting that flush and level mm-hmm. are far less than getting it with just that, just doing the split. So how much do you think it's along its length? Do you think it's actually split? Two feet. Okay. Two if feet, that. Two yeah. feet out of five? Out of six, six. probably. Yeah. Mm. You don't have breadboard ends, right? No. If you, if you can oh, take it off. God, that was a look. If you can take it off and just remount it, to give it the room it needs to move. Oh. Just call it good. Well, that's where it is now. I've just undone all of the screws on the sides. Yeah. And it's flat and it's, I don't notice it. And, but I feel like it's going to unflat. You know, I feel like eventually those. Yeah. Just leave it for now. Yeah. How visible is it now that it's kind of settled back in place? Well, I pointed out to everyone. Oh. <sighs> But, but when, <laughs> when you relieve the pressure, did it kind of flatten out? Like oh, if you have like buckled totally floorboards. Oh, you're okay. good. Well, compared to the 1971 house. Yeah. Or 1791 <laughs> house, I should say. That's a big difference. 1791 house where yeah. nothing is flat. Nothing. Yeah. I would not consider that top to be an action item. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Put that low on the list. Yeah. All right. Like I wouldn't I even. feel better. I wouldn't let that fix stop you from starting on another project you really want to start on. Oh, yeah. That's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to me, that fixes like, all right, I'm going to do this today. It's two hours. If I can get some hide glue in there and get it and get it flush, move on with my life. But I'm not going to stress over it. Yeah, let's not. Yeah. All right. Mike, what do you got? Um, well, just because I like to say people's ideas before they say them. Um, I was going to say a block plane, but I'm not um, because Bob Van Dyke had this really beautiful little veneered box he was making uh, while I was teaching at the school. Um, Square little box, sawn in half, and he's hinging it with these cool little square box hinges. Um, In the box, there's no lip where the lid meets the, the body. It's just flat, so there's no means of alignment. So meaning that the hinges have to be installed really, really accurately for the top to line up with the bottom. And that can be super tough. Mm -hmm. Uh, So his technique was really smart. He figured out where his hinges, he wanted them to be. He mortised them into the base of the box and screwed them in place. And then the lid was still free and not mortised yet. So he closed the hinges and then he applied five-minute epoxy on top of the hinge leaves that were closed up. And he positioned the top of the box perfectly aligned with the base of the box and allowed the epoxy to dry. And basically, he glued the hinge leaves to the surface of the underside of the lid. So now that's perfectly aligned, other than the fact that he still needs to mortise that. So, But then he's able to 
in essence, open up the box. And while those hinges are glued in place, he could scribe around those hinges with a knife to mortise those guys in. And also, this is super smart, while that was in place, he went ahead and drilled for the screw holes into those hinges. Because you know how when you screw, a lot of times that pulls things out of whack. But while it was, it was the hinges were glued in place, he went ahead and pre-drilled the screw holes for the hinges. And then he popped off the glue from the hinges, mortised it, put them back on. The mortises are in exactly location, and the hinge screw holes are in exact location, and it is like a perfect fit. That's that's next level. That's something that like somebody who's never woodworked would do. Accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying he basically glued the hinges in place, marked, drilled, popped them off, mortised. And put it back on. Yeah. To drill the pilot holes. While it's That's there. just showing off. Yeah. That's pretty rough. Huh. He's he's pretty clever. Yeah, he is. And I think he would say he learned that from someone else, but it doesn't matter because he remembered it and was smart enough to use it. So super cool. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's take a break because we're speechless. Regardless of your skill level in woodworking or home repair, you want a glue that you can trust. Because a glue that doesn't work can ruin any project in a hurry. Fortunately, Tightbond has the glue you need to get the job done with confidence. From interior glues with strong initial tack and short clamp times, to exterior glues with exceptional strength and water resistance, look to Tightbond, the right glue for your next project. For more information, visit tightbond.com. T-I-T-E-B-O-N-D.com. Shop Talk Live listeners, have you checked out the Veritas layout blocks? They're little pocket-sized blocks, L-shaped, and each side is cleverly laid out so that you can have a physical measurement of one-eighth of an inch, quarter of an inch, half inch, or three-quarters of an inch, and then the whole thing is one inch long. Absolutely awesome. Fits in your pocket. They're under 10 bucks a piece, or you can order a pack of three for under $20, And there's a hole on them, so you can leave them hanging on a piece of string or a hook all around your shop. Also, now, for our more, dare I say, refined listeners, they have metric layout blocks. Measurements of 2 millimeters, 4 millimeters, 8 millimeters, 16 millimeters, and an overall measurement of 32 millimeters. I'm beside myself with joy. So head on over to leevalley.com, check out the layout blocks, If you're into Imperial or if you lean metric, they got you covered. Fine Woodworking Magazine has a long history of bringing inspiring content to our readers. You can subscribe by going to finewoodworking.com slash sub. Question number three is from William. The age-old chessboard question. I want to build a chessboard with a frame and panel design. For the board itself, I just want to make it out of three quarter inch strips that would be glued end grain to end grain in order to create the alternating pattern of dark and light. I have done a mock-up of fur that seems strong enough, and I've seen tests of end grain to end grain glue bonds that perform well enough. However, I'm worried about the long-term strength. Am I being paranoid? 
Do any of you have long-term successful end grain to end grain joints? No. No. Mm, the closest I've come to anything like that is a pull that had burl, which is kind of, you can't really. Burl's like all grain. Uh, right. <laughs> into the end grain of Swiss pear. But we're talking about a tiny piece that's under no stress whatsoever. And it's held up great. <laughs> but is he putting it all down on a substrate? I know, frame and panel. Um, yeah, but he could still glue that to a substrate, right? Is that, or is he thinking like just three quarter inch? Like solid stock. And then. As opposed to like a veneer, checkerboard veneer. Yeah. Um, no. I mean, one option would be to mill up long pieces of your light and dark stock and with a, you know, in a square profile, the size of each square that you want. Glue those up into one long piece, like you're making a breadboard. Cross cut those, and then flip the stock up vertically, just like you would do a end grain breadboard. And all the end grain is facing up now, so all the joints are all long grain joints. That would solve it. Is it a checkerboard? I like the idea of making checkerboards. I think that's super cool. I thought about this a lot. What if each piece? had a rabbit. So you so you almost did a shiplap of checkerboards. Uh-huh. So there was a rabbit on each side. Okay. And then you'd have some long green. And th- so you'd get the long green strength. Yeah. Yeah, kind of figure out that geometry. You could do I that. mean, it sounds like an absolute pain in the butt, but uh Okay, let's let's Ooh, let's go riffing. there. We're riffing. So we have like um I don't know, let's say we're you making walnut and maple squares. Okay. So cut full length strips of walnut, which are the width of the squares that you want. And then this is a taking up your point, Ben. Then on that long continuous strip, you just like cut shallow dados or notches the exact size you want your maple pieces to be. And then you just glue in those little maple squares and then just offset the strips. And it looks like end grain to end grain. That's why he's the boss. But it's not. (laughs) But that's that's based on what you were saying. Because you're right. Once you wrap it, once you expose, you have a horizontal surface of long grain to long grain. That's the key. Yeah, that'd work. You're making a checkerboard. What are you doing? You're veneering, aren't you? That's what I'm thinking, yeah. veneering it. But even, I wonder if you could put, why not, why not have, make it thinner and put it on a substrate? Yeah. Why not? Is there? I, I feel like, because I've, I've had this question a couple times, people wanting to do the checkerboard. And they just don't want a veneer. It's like they haven't hit that point yet where veneer's okay. It's it's still fine woodworking. Yeah. You know, they just refuse to accept veneer in their hearts like we have. It does raise, it's a little different considerations. 
Veneering tends to be a little scary for me. I get that. I love it. I fin- I slap veneer on everything now. It's great. It's freeing. I still think I'm only at like solution three out of 17 for actually troubleshooting a really efficient way to make a checkerboard. Like, I don't think I'm quite there yet, but I want to keep thinking about it. Mike's next book is going to be 27 ways to make a checkerboard out of solid stock. Yes. I figured them all out. Or 20, 26 ways not to, and then one, but you have to read all 26 before. (laughs) Until it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, All right. Uh, Question number four is from Dave. And I replied to Dave a long time ago when he sent this one, but uh, it's worth a discussion. Uh, I am a clinician who took an assignment to be a part of the COVID response here in the U.S. As a result, I've been living out of a hotel room since April 9th, and I will probably continue to do so for a long time. What kind of craft do you think I could make work in my situation? I'm going a little nuts. I love the work, but I'm starved for play in my downtime. Factors I'm considering are, I can have family go to my place and ship a few tools, but I'm also willing to use this as an excuse, after listening to Mike Peckfitch, to buy a few new tools. I'll have some room in my checked luggage, but not a lot. It's all healthcare workers in this hotel. We all have different shifts, so I don't want to be too loud and disturb their sleep. I'm working nights, seven-day a week indefinitely. So even if I could access shop space, I don't know when I would because of the because I've become a creature of the night. What comes to mind is lettering or chip carving. Something I've never done before. I figure a lot of uh, I figure a lot may not be worth keeping, so I can give them to folks out here and not worry about having to get work pieces back home. Other ideas? I like the chip carving idea a lot because he could just order in some boards that are milled and um, just go to town on different patterns. And the tooling is so minimal. That's a great idea. Carving of any kind would be great. Dovetailing tiny little boxes, just sketching, more sketching, learning SketchUp. There are tons of things he could do. That are quiet. I like the idea of like learning SketchUp in a period like that. Yeah. What do you think? Um, yeah, I, I, great chip carving is cool. Um, Kumiko would be fine. That's a pretty small setup in terms of tools. Um, and just yeah, that would be neat. Um, basket weaving would be super cool. Knitting. Well, yeah. I mean, someone on. Woodworker on Instagram does baskets as well. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's Peter Follinsby. Peter does them, yeah. And Brandon Gaffney does baskets. Yeah. And, yeah. So yeah. I wasn't being facetious. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure cool that thing. I didn't think you were at no. first, and then I thought you were, and now I'm sure you're not. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think marquetry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fret saw and some veneer stock. Yeah. Yeah. And some pieces of, MD- of MDF to glue stuff onto. And, and you're, my worry about like letter carving would be banging. Chip carving is going to be quiet. Yeah. yeah. Spoons. Mm. Yeah, I guess you're going to go outside and do your hatchet work. That's a good idea too. 
Marquetry, I like that because you could do like these square, individual square panels. Yeah. And then by the time you're done, you can incorporate those into this cool frame and panel design or something. Like a, like a, uh, quilt. Like, like a, a marquetry quilt. quilt. Right. My, my COVID experience. Yeah. Like quilt. A, maybe taller case piece with a door, a pair of doors that are divided out. So you have these cool square marquetry panels. I like that. Huh. Did you see the that uh, piece that um, Miguel Gomez, Gomez Ibanez yeah. made? A new one? No, it's an older one. It's the it's, alphabet? Yeah, it's almost yeah. a case on stand with the illustrated alphabet yeah. in each little square. Yep. And I think that's all marquetry, right? Yeah. I think yeah. so, yeah. That's super cool. That's a cool idea for yeah. it, too, yeah. Um. I can't think of anything else. Chip carving is probably or can we go? But I've noticed a lot of these questions they already have the answer. A lot of questions they have the answer already and we end up just agreeing with them. Yeah. But we can't just say that's a good idea. Yeah, that's true. Because we'd be it's, done. Yeah. Show's gotta be longer than that. I don't know. I think a lot of people desire confirmation from other people and they don't necessarily have woodworkers that they talk to every lunch period to say, yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. We don't anymore either. Yeah. Except today. Yay. Yay. <laughs> so Anissa, what would you do? So you're sort of trapped living in a hotel room for say six months by yourself. I like just- all of these ideas. I like the chip carving idea. Spoons, a good idea. The marquetry is a good idea. The basket weaving or like, um, even if he, he could even learn some more upholstery type stuff too. If he just had a frame that he could use as a practice frame, right? he could do Danish cord or rush or caning or anything like that too. I would, I would dig learning all of that stuff Yeah, and having time to do it. Do the chip carving in the Christina Madsen style where you're chip carving, painting, gesso, carving through it. Just panels. Yeah. Yeah. What would you do? You would do that, chip carving? I think it's something where you would want convenient start and stop points. So, like, you could jump in and work on it, and then you stop working on it, but then come back. But then I also think there needs to be continuity connecting everything together so it feels like it's part of a longer project in order to keep you interested in doing it so that by the time you're done, I wouldn't want a series of small, uh, unrelated little projects. I would want one long thing that consists of a lot of things. So basically the, the multiple panels you could incorporate into a bigger piece would be good. I mean, I would imagine basket weaving is something that takes a long time. I don't know. I wouldn't know either. I mean, but, like isn't coming out of it with not necessarily the project. I don't think he's worried about the project. I think he's trying to kill time. So learning a technique is the the project for for many. Yeah. Well, I think your take on like carving a spoon a day. I Which think I that's failed at miserably. Uh, I yeah. love my spoon. So, um, so maybe it is a mindless thing. I need to come in, sit down, decompress by focusing on this one thing for an hour. Yeah. So maybe that is something 
you know, like a spoon or chip carving, you can come in and just do one thing, set it down, call it good. You know, I, and there are also so many books right now, like even to go back and just start reading some of the older woodworking books and with Lost Art Press putting out so many really cool books now too. And there are just more things to read about woodworking and from really cool woodworkers now than there ever used to be. Taunton and your book and Krenov's books. Like, get on the woodworking book tour. <laughs> I, I got to say, I'm going to add a wild card. Make a ukulele kit. No. Oh. Because... I'm thinking about it. There's nothing loud there. And, you know, a, a month of nights, you could wind up with a pretty fun project at the end of it. The, the Stumac ukulele kits are like 80 bucks and pretty much everything's there. You don't need machines. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. Cool. All right, let's see. We have a couple of uh, listener comments on uh, about the Scrapwood discussion on episode 220. Uh, this one is from Richard. A couple of years ago, I started a Facebook group called Scrapwood Exchange. Is that sort of like a helpline? <laughs> it is the opposite of a helpline. I went on this. <laughs> Did you check it out? No. Don't. Don't. It's the opposite of a helpline. <laughs> it's indulging the problem. Is it just sources of scraps that people want to get rid of? Yeah. Okay. It's like, it's here. It's There are more people saying, I need this kind of wood. Oh. Can anybody send me this? Then there are people saying, hey, take this. I oh. mean, there was some of it, but... But also, as I'm looking at that, oh, look at that curly walnut that's going on there. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, what that's I need. A- <laughs> that's what I need. Like a game box full of like curly walnut because I don't have enough wood oh. all over the place in my house. Okay. It's bad. Okay, so. If you have any only, kind of wood only- hoarding problem, do not go to this Facebook page. <laughs> I think his idea is that the people with the wood hoarding problems should offload to other people. Yeah. And this might be a a venue for that. Yeah. For other wood hoarders to pick up their wood and perpetuate their wood hoarding problem. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anissa. (laughs) So it's like a scrap adoption service. Yes. We're going to match the. Yep. Overly scrapped with the underly scrap. And somehow it always winds up. There's that one house with too many scraps. Yeah, sure. Anissa's house. All right. Uh, Sorry. Kind of- I will post a link for those of you <laughs> who Anissa did not scare off. Um, all right. And then we have one from Barry and we'll, we'll post a picture uh, that Barry sent in. Not our Barry. That's another Barry. I was going to ask you. Uh, how dare you call me out on your last podcast? Not me personally, but those like me who, who hoard every menial scrap thinking I can use it somewhere else. Anyways, you forced me to do a, a clean out, and he sent a picture Ooh. that is a solid pickup truck load of scrap. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Barry, Barry was strong for this, mm-hmm. this one. All right. Uh, 
recommendations. I have a recommendation. Buy more flashlights. Go out, just buy it next time you're in <laughs> Harbor Freight. Go buy more flashlights. <laughs> 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 buy more flashlights and buy some buckets to flush the toilet with. Yeah. Anybody else? All right, I'm going to go full circle here. I'm going to recommend that you go and check out this Facebook page. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is a definite really cool community feel to it. And everybody's really trying to like, uh, you know, get some wood out there to people who need it. And people are doing their call out for what they need. And there are some really cool things on there. I didn't mean to be super like skeptical about it. I was mostly kidding around. But um, it, it was kind of a cool thing too, and there are, I don't do Facebook really, but there it seemed like there are a lot of people involved in it, and you have to kind of sign in and to tell where you're from. So definitely worth checking out. Were you just describing Facebook to the audience, or? Well, I don't okay. know. I don't really do Facebook. <laughs> it's this no, website. This you have to sign in. <laughs> no, to this particular name. Facebook page is that. Facebook, sure, yeah. whatever. I shouldn't be talking about Facebook at all, but so I did check what, that What's out. your other recommendation? I, I gave it already. Rewatch the Brady Bunch. I was off air. Oh. Yeah, I've been watching the Brady Bunch episodes and the Wonder Years with my kids. And they both hold up, and uh, I would highly recommend revisiting them. Nice. Anissa? Or Barrett? <laughs> <laughs> Boss man, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you don't do this already, track down a local farmer's market in your area and actually go there. Yeah. Like every week. Like I love farmer's markets and the only time we would ever go is like when we were on vacation somewhere and then it was stupid because I would get these ingredients with no means to actually cook them. So we finally started going to the one in the town in Ben's town. Um, like every Thursday afternoon and it's like okay there's my bread there's my whatever micro sprouts there's my greens there's little rhubarb pie little pie Did you get the little rhubarb pies I get a pie every they're week they're good yeah. and it's it's cool Yeah, it's really increased the quality of my life I think that's a good one right on alright well that's all for this episode of Shop Talk Live if you have questions you'd like us to answer on the show send them into shoptalkatalk.com if you're watching on YouTube please click that thumbs up button we'll be back in two weeks with another episode thanks for listening Fine Woodworking is bringing our best instructors right to your home with our shop class webinars With these virtual workshops, you can watch, listen, ask questions, and enjoy the chats and connections with other woodworkers and our experts. To find out more, go to finewoodworking.com slash shop class. Ah, segment potpourri, potpourri, potpourri.